Okay, there's a lot happening in this passage. I hope you noticed we've got demons, we've got uh, exorcisms, we've got questions about atonement theory, we've got this understanding of who Satan is, and we've got the unforgivable sin. So uh, we're going to have to bring in some help a little bit, okay? So uh, to try to figure out um, this idea of the unforgivable sin, I'm going to bring in a theologian that some people have heard of named Tim Hawkins, okay? Uh, and Tim Hawkins is going to help us think a little bit about some unforgivable sins that we commit with people, particularly our spouses, so that perhaps we can more fully understand an unforgivable sin we commit to God, all right? So listen carefully to what Tim has to say. some weight in your rear end the dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend and where'd you get those shoes i think they're pretty lame would you stop talking cuz i'm trying to watch the game if you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life these are the things you don't say to your wife I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday I didn't ask you but I knew it'd be okay Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show I taped it over our old wedding video If you're a man who done that A long and happy life Lives up the place to Solo Okay Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake Your eyes look puffy, dear, are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill <laughs> You're a man who wants to live a long and happy love that too These are the things you don't say to me. You're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife these are the things you don't say to you. Okay, that's really good advice. So if you take nothing else from today, don't say those things to your wife. Okay, uh, so w why don't we say those things to our, our spouses? Because they will hold them against us for the rest of our lives, right? Uh, so the question is, um, is there anything that we can do that God will hold against us for the rest of his life, right? There's the, there's the question we want to answer today. Um, and, and so Jesus has uh, this really uncomfortable moment where he says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not, will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Um, so what does it mean <clears throat> to speak against the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Um, this is actually a text that I've talked to a lot of people about over the years, and some folks have really lost some sleep over it, right? Maybe I said the wrong words one time, and I didn't think it carefully through what I said, and, and maybe I've committed that sin, right? And I'll tell you right now, that's not what this is about, right? Now, if you are terrified that you may have offended God by saying the unforgivable sin, I can 100% guarantee you you didn't do it, right? It's like a catch-22. If you're worried about it, you didn't do it. Um, some people have said, well, maybe the unforgivable sin is like doing the same thing over and over again and never repenting of it, right? And, and just being trapped in that behavior. And maybe God can't keep forgiving me. 
And I'm going to tell you that's not what this means either. In fact, Jesus talks about forgiveness and he says, remember this, that I'll forgive my brother not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, an infinite number of times, right? I'm never going to stop offering forgiveness. Um, This isn't just a random, strange passage either that we can ignore. And we've talked a little bit throughout this series in Lent about how every one of these uncomfortable things that Jesus says connects to a major theme of His ministry, which is designed to awaken us to the kingdom of God. So um, I want to think today about um, what this means, that there is something that we could do that would separate us from God. When Christ's whole ministry is about forgiveness and reconciliation, what is it that might draw us far away from Him? And, and I want to suggest there are three big ideas that I think unpack what's going on in this conversation. Three big ideas that, that relate to um, the therefore and make sense of this comment that Jesus makes. Uh, and we got to cover a lot of ground, um, so I'm going to go through some things kind of quick. The, the first big idea is going to be about how Jesus saves us, how Jesus saves us, okay? So if we had more time, we could have a whole sermon about demons. That'd be kind of interesting. We could have a whole sermon about Satan. We could have a whole sermon about all that stuff. We don't have time. So we're going to have to take as a given some of the things that Jesus takes as a given. So Jesus takes it um, as a given that there are personified forces of evil in the world that are kind of fallen angels, right? That demons are some of them, uh, that Satan is one of them. Uh, and and Jesus' ministry, a large part of it, is about casting out those demons as He does in this passage. It's not a one-off kind of thing. Jesus casts out demons a lot, right? And in fact, when He sends out the disciples, He instructs them to do the same, um, if you're really interested in this particular topic, I, I, I've mentioned several times, I'm in love with this TV show called The Chosen. It's on YouTube and it's free and it's about the life of Jesus. And the first episode of The Chosen is about Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene from whom Jesus cast out seven demons in Scripture. And it's totally worth watching. It gives you a sense of this whole background of the story. Um, but what I want you to remember, the, the big picture here is two things. First, that Jesus sees humanity as the victims and not the villains in this story. And this is really important. We've said this before, but it bears repeating. That when Jesus comes to earth, He doesn't come to punish humans for all the bad things that we've done. He comes to rescue humans. Right? He, he comes to set us free from our sins and from the powers of evil that have led us into those sins. It doesn't mean we're not accountable for our actions. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Jesus primarily sees us as victims to be rescued, not villains to be defeated. The villains that Jesus comes to defeat are these spiritual forces of evil. Uh, and that's his goal. That's his purpose. The other really big idea that we get out of this is um, that Jesus' work on earth is a foreshadowing of the kingdom of God. So uh, he heals people from illness because in the kingdom of God there will be no illness or sickness or suffering. And he raises the dead like Lazarus or Jairus' daughter because in the kingdom of God there will be no death. And he casts out demons because Part of the goal of the kingdom of God is to destroy the powers of evil in this world. And that is um, the, the whole context 
for this conversation about the strong man in this passage. Did you, you notice this? It's, it's kind of interesting. Jesus is talking about casting out demons, and they're saying, oh, you're doing it by the power of the devil. And Jesus says, you guys are idiots. And then he says, um, there's a strong man, right? The strong man is Satan. Satan has bound us, right? Taken us into his house. And you can't free someone from Satan unless you are stronger than he is. And Jesus is going to come and tie up the strong man and plunder his house, right? Free all of us from it and set us um, into the house of his father. And that's the the work that Jesus came to do. Um, There is an idea um, uh, about how we are saved um, called the Christus Victor theory. And it's really quite simple. It's this idea that Jesus came to defeat evil and rescue us from it. We tend to think about how Jesus saves us in terms of substitutionary atonement. I know that's a lot of words, but it's a really good thing. It's very biblical, right? It's the idea that Jesus takes my place, right? I am am punished. I should be punished for sins, but instead Jesus is punished. And Jesus should be rewarded for His righteousness, but instead I'm rewarded. That's 100% correct, okay? That's 100% biblical. It's just not the whole story. The Bible also talks about this idea that Jesus came to defeat evil and rescue people. And this idea really changes how we think about our relationship with God. Right? If I just think about God, uh, Jesus, as the person who dies to forgive me for my sins, right, substitutes for me, then you know what? It's not too hard for me to start saying, well, I guess I should probably work on those areas of my life, but Jesus is going to forgive me and it's not that big a deal and I'll get around to working on that stuff later. And I, I can end up with kind of a, a milk toast Savior, right, who just lets me do whatever I want and get away with whatever I want, and He's going he's gonna to take the blame, and I'm going to get all the credit. But Scripture says Jesus is also a warrior king. Jesus is also this hero who has come to defeat our enemy and set us free, uh, and that means He has come to destroy, demolish, and defeat everything evil within and without of us and lay it on the floor at His feet. Um, And this is maybe a piece that we struggle with a little bit, right? We're not always so sure we want the warrior king to destroy the evil, especially the evil within us. John Calvin says, There is no man who does not loudly boast that he desires the kingdom of God, and yet we do not permit Christ to fight boldly as the occasion requires in order to rescue us from the power of our tyrant, just as if a sick man were to entreat the aid of a physician and then refuse every remedy. I've shared with you before one of my favorite stories is from Um, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis, and it's this moment where uh, Eustace, who is a kind of a selfish little brat of a kid, um, puts on an armband on a magic island and becomes transformed into a dragon. And in, in, in essence, his outside starts to match his inside. And while he's... Um, transformed into a dragon over time, he begins to recognize how miserable he is and how separate he is from everyone else, and he he really wants to go back to being a boy again, Um, but he can't seem to do it. And then he meets this lion, right? And the lion is Jesus, um, though we call him Aslan in the story. And, And the lion says, you have to shed your skin and then wash in this pool. 
And he says, okay. And so I guess I'm like a lizard. I'm like a snake so I can shed my skin. And he sort of sheds his skin, sort of peels his skin off, and it feels great. And he says, all right, I'm ready. And he goes to walk in the pool, and he looks down at his foot, and he realizes it's still a dragon's foot. He says, all right, I guess I need to do it again. He does it again. He does it a third time. Um, But he can't shed enough of his skin to become who he wants to be. Uh, And then um, Aslan says, um, I'm going to have to do it for you. Uh, and I love the, the language of this moment where um, Aslan comes up to Eustace and he says, you will have to let me do it. Eustace says, the very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy. Oh, but it is fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I'd thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker, darker, and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. And he caught hold of me, and he threw me in the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then I saw I'd turned into a boy again. Jesus comes to peel back the layers of selfishness and sin that we might prefer to keep. And and when we are willing to say, yeah, I'll get rid of a little bit of that bad habit, a little bit of that selfish behavior, a little bit of that anger or frustration, or Jesus says, no, I'm going to get rid of all of it. And the question for us as Christians is, are we going to let the warrior king come in and reorder our life, tie up the strong man, and remove all of that junk? Or are we going to say, no, Jesus, I'd rather fight against you than let you fight for me? St. Augustine, one of the great heroes of the church, um, had a prayer um, early in his Christian uh, journey. He said, Lord, save me from my sins, but not quite yet. Then sometime later, he says, he prayed, save me from all my sins, Lord, except one. And then he said, finally, he prayed, Lord, save me from all my sins and save me now. I wonder if part of the question around this unforgivable sin is us saying, Jesus, I don't want to let you fight for me yet. I want to keep fighting against you. Save me from my sins, but not right now. And Jesus says, no, you got to let me come and do the work. You don't do the work. Christ does it. But you got to let him come. you got to stop fighting against him and let him fight for you. So uh, the first part of this unforgivable sin question for me is, um, are we allowing the warrior king to come and fight evil within and without in our lives? The, the second piece is, is really simple but super important. Um, and it's about the question of knowing good and evil. So uh, Jesus has an interesting comment here. I don't know if you noticed this, but in verse 32, he says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus recognizes he's kind of a controversial figure, right? I mean, he's not the Messiah people expected. He's doing all these crazy things, and Jesus 
is kind of okay with you struggling on your way to find Him, right? It's not going to be a smooth road to come to faith in Christ, and it doesn't matter how many bumps it takes along the road for you to get there. Jesus is fine with that, right? But He says, when you see goodness, <clears throat> when you see absolute goodness and, and casting out demons from people and setting them free ought to be as clear uh, an act of goodness as you can imagine. When you see absolute goodness and you call it absolute evil, which is what the Pharisees are doing, right? They're saying you're casting these demons out by the power of the devil. Then your heart is so far from God's love and will and character that you may struggle to ever find your way back to Him. Um, let me clarify a couple things about that. First of all, um, it is very possible for us to be unintentionally wrong about good and evil. In fact, I guarantee that everybody in this room has been unintentionally wrong about good and evil at some point in your life, right? Uh, where you just thought something was right and then later on you realized you were wrong. Paul the Apostle spent years trying to murder all the Christians to end the blasphemy of Christianity, right? That was genuinely wrong, right? Um, but, but he was unintentional about it. He thought he was doing right. That's not what Jesus is talking about, right? He's not saying you made some mistakes, you're in trouble. Jesus is saying um, when you know good is good and you know evil is evil, but you choose to love evil over good because it benefits you, because it is expedient, and because it is comfortable, then you are in trouble, then you are in such a dark place, you are so far from God that He worries whether you can find your way back. When we call good evil because the good will cost us too much, we are in trouble, right? We are in immortal peril. Uh, I read a story from a number of years ago um, recently, and this is actually from 2008. There was a lady named Barbara Wagner in the state of Oregon. And Barbara Wagner was, maybe you know this story, Barbara Wagner was a cancer survivor. She had lung cancer, very aggressive lung cancer. She was in remission. And then um, very unfortunately, that cancer returned. And the doctors did everything they could. And finally, um, as sort of a last-ditch attempt, they prescribed a, a, a very expensive, very risky medication that they thought might make a difference for her. And... Um, Maybe you know this, but um, uh, at that time in Oregon, um, the Oregon Health Plan, um, as I believe it still does today, um, covered those medical expenses for many people. Um, Oregon also allows for a physician-assisted suicide. Uh, and Barbara Wagner got a letter back from her insurance company, uh, and they said that they had declined to pay the $4,000 a month drug her doctor prescribed but they were willing to pay the cost of the $50 physician-assisted suicide medication. She says, I got a letter in the mail that basically said, if you want to take the pills, we will help you get that from the doctor and we will stand there and watch you die, but we won't give you the medication to live. I don't need to get into the whole physician-assisted suicide thing today, right? And I don't know all the context of that story, but I'm going to tell you when somebody says, hey, um, this evil is good, and this good is evil, we're in some trouble, right? 
Isaiah talks about this. The prophet Isaiah in the fifth chapter, he talks about um, how we as a people run the risk of falling into this same trap that Jesus warns about. He says, alas, you who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no room for anyone but you, and you are left to live alone in the midst of the land. Alas, you who rise early in the morning in pursuit of strong drink, who linger in the evening to be inflamed by wine. Alas, you who drag iniquity along with cords of falsehood, who drag sin along as with cart ropes. Alas, you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Alas, you who are wise in your own eyes and shrewd in your own sight, who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant at mixing drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of their rights. Jesus says it's not about specific words. It's not about did you ever say the wrong thing about the Holy Spirit. It's about the condition of your hearts, right? The condition of the hearts of the Pharisees condition of our hearts? Do we see those things that we know to be good and yet proclaim them evil because it's convenient or expedient or easy? And if we do, how far are we from God's heart? The the last piece of this, maybe the most important, um, is is tied to the last thing that Jesus says before He speaks about the unforgivable sin. Verse 30, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. See, this unforgivable sin thing, even though it's not about speaking against Jesus, it's still all about Jesus. And Jesus says, Um, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. He's talking to the Pharisees particularly, but also to us. And he says, um, the great danger for you is not that you make one mistake. It's the repetitive rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit in leading you to the Messiah. That's what the Pharisees are guilty of, right? They didn't make just one mistake. Again and again and again, as they've seen the goodness of God in their midst, as they've seen Jesus do and teach amazing things, they have rejected that, right? They said, we don't want to see the work of the Holy Spirit because we don't want to end up where the Holy Spirit takes us. We don't want to end up following Jesus. Ralph Martin says, this verse is a solemn warning against persistent, deliberate rejection of the Spirit's call to salvation in Christ. Uh, And and I would say part of the message here is that there's no middle ground with Jesus, right? I I can't take parts of the story of God but reject Jesus and leave Him out, right? I, I can't say, well, one day I'll get around to deciding about Jesus because this thing is urgent and important. And I can't say, um, well, I'm not against Jesus because Jesus says, well, then you're not for me. And I believe this is a particular challenge for those of us who are in the church. Those of us who have had the experience of growing up, um, we aren't ignorant about the faith. We've seen and heard about the work of the Holy Spirit. We've seen goodness in our lives. Um, But sometimes we stay on the fence. John Muir says, to refuse to to decide positively for Jesus is to already have decided against Him. And I think the longer we wait, the longer we say, yes, Jesus, save me from my sins, but not yet, 
the more comfortable we become calling good evil and evil good for our convenience, the less likely we become to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit when He calls us to Jesus. And I want to say, guys, I think time is limited here. D.L. Moody is one of the great evangelists of the 19th century and uh, did a lot of preaching tours throughout the United States. Uh, And and he tells a story about a time where he was preaching in Chicago. Uh, The date was October 8th, 1871, and he was going to do two Sundays in this church as he was sort of progressing through the city, two successive sermons in this one congregation. It was the largest congregation that he had preached at in his entire preaching tour in Chicago. His text that day was from Matthew chapter 27, where the Bible says, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And at the end of his sermon, D.L. Moody said, I want you to go home and reflect this week on what you will do with Jesus, who is called Christ. And then next Sabbath, when we gather together, we're going to talk about Calvary and the cross and the empty tomb, and I'm going to ask you to make a decision about Jesus. And he ended his sermon. And they started singing a hymn, Today the Savior calls for refuge fly, the storm of justice falls and death is nigh. But the hymn never got finished because in the middle of the hymn, the fire trucks started roaring through the city. Um, October 8, 1871 is the first day of the great Chicago fire. Um, The fires in Chicago burned for two days. Much of the city was ashes after it was over. And D.L. Moody was never able to return to that congregation again. He talked about this later in life a number of times, and he said, I have never since dared to give an audience a week to think of their salvation. I have never seen that congregation since. I will never meet those people until I meet them again in another world. But I want to tell you of one lesson I learned that night, which I have never forgotten, and that is when I preach to press Christ upon the people and there try to bring them to a decision on the spot, I would rather have that right hand cut off than to give an audience a week now to decide on what to do with Jesus. He who is not with me is against me, He who does not gather with me scatters. See, the unforgivable sin, brothers and sisters, is quite simply to reject Jesus, right? To reject the forgiveness and the grace and the healing and the hope and the life and the kingdom that He came to bring. And it is the only thing that is unforgivable. The only way that we can be fully cut off from God is to say, I see all that Christ has done for me and I don't want it you can't keep putting the decision off. You can't keep saying, one day I'll get around to deciding whether I want to follow Jesus or not, because there may not be another day. We may not be here next Sunday. You may not be here on Monday. Christ calls us today to gather with Him. And this is the awesome opportunity that we have uh, to embrace Christ as the warrior for our soul, to embrace Christ as the one who is willing to redeem us Uh, And to say, Christ, I'm willing to be redeemed at any cost to myself because I know you paid every cost in yourself. So I don't know where you are today. Uh, I don't know where your spiritual life is, if you've been in the church your whole life or if you're new to Christ or if you've made a commitment to Him many times or if you've never made a commitment. But I want to say today, um, Christ invites us 
to begin a lifelong journey with Him um, as our warrior king, as our hero, as our savior. And there is not time to wait on this decision. So I want to invite you to um, bow your heads and, and pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, we recognize today uh, the awesome gift of Christ our Lord, that He came to set us free from the power of darkness and death in this world. We thank You, Lord, that He was victorious. We thank You that at uh, His death, He nailed to the cross all the powers of evil and darkness, and in His resurrection, He broke forever their hold over us. We thank you that, Lord, the foretaste of the kingdom we experienced in him already will come in completion when he returns. We thank you that Jesus came to destroy all the evil without and all the evil within. And we pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would work salvation in us. We pray, Lord, that you would take our lives and that we would no longer be in charge of them, but that we would hand them over to you, that you would be Lord of our life and Savior of our hearts and Savior of our world. We pray, Lord, you'd give us eyes to see the good and embrace it as good and eyes to see evil and resist it as you resist evil. And we pray, Lord, that you would not allow us to wait even another day or another hour or another minute before we place our lives in your hand. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.